It's that time. Your fix is here. College football is a year-round discussion with these two. Here's J.C. and Morgan. Mike Morgan of ESPN and J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports have you covered. Beginning right now. All right, welcome into another installment of J.C. and Morgan. He's J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I am Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. It is episode number 189, and because it's the quote-unquote off-season, we do go a little guest-heavy. We had uh, Tim Brando on the other day, kind of a national perspective. We've had a lot of people on that I really like and respect that cover the sport, uh, but this is a new one. This is a, a fresh face. But uh, if if you've been in Atlanta at all, you don't have to live in Atlanta to be familiar with 680 The Fan or the Chuck and Chernoff show. And we've had Chuck Oliver on this program before, but we've never had Matt Chernoff on, and he is uh, kind enough to spend some time here today matt how are you my friend gentlemen i'm good thanks for uh stooping so low with the guest list to have me on i appreciate it See, it's that self-deprecating humor that makes you the uh, georgia sportscaster of the year seven eight times in a row now isn't it either that or it's just my lack of self-esteem that keeps coming <laughs> forward each and every day well welcome to the welcome to the couch there's a box of tissues need <laughs> them via zoom and we'll get to this you know in all seriousness so i mean you and I know each other, but we don't know each other, right? Um, I've been in Atlanta for 12 years. Uh, the Braves are the primary thing that brought me here. I've stayed here because I love the city, and for my travel, calling games for much of the year, it's just so easy. Uh, other than the gate agents at lovely Hartsville Airport that have the worst demeanor and attitude on the planet. Um, now you know why I'm on their no-fly list. But uh, but no, I, I, it, it's, it's, a, it's a great market for – college football fans you and i i think we did like a show on css once we had a, a, a classic chat henny debate and i'll tell you that guy's oh, 15 no. years in the league yeah oh yeah oh yeah you forget about that uh you wrote you wrote him off way too early sir did i yeah yeah but no you, you we we've we've uh we, we know the same people we've worked with the same people um and i so i'm going to pay you a compliment that i have never had a chance to i've only told this to chuck a number of times there are a very talented sports talk show hosts in Atlanta, and uh, there was a time where I I did what you do for 14 years, which is not just like jumping in and parachuting and doing a cameo, but actually Monday through Friday, 14 years in a row, doing a sports talk show and dabbled with some of it uh, with the now defunct 790 The Zone in Atlanta for a, for a couple of years. Uh, there's a lot of talented people in this market that do it. I have said this many times. Uh, and I like to butter up our, our guests with a compliment before we just hammer you in the hot seat. I think you were the best point guard bar none. I, and I, and I don't think that's just Atlanta. I think you're one of the best guys because there's a lot of things that go into your show. Uh, it's very formatic. Every break is teased. There's always a segment. And what I love, 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 love. And I've always joked about this with some of my friends that do what you do in other markets. Like, you know, you could train a monkey to go in there and take phone calls for three hours during football season. That's not a skill. You guys don't take calls. So uh, you have to come into the office every day extremely prepared, extremely uh, not only knowledgeable, but you always have to have something to say. Like there's there's not that seamless uh, – there is a kind of seamless art to it. And unlike what we're doing here, which is like we're all sitting down on a theoretical couch and just sh- – you know, shooting the whatever 
you guys do that, and I, I think you do it extremely well. So there, there's your compliment to get things started. And, and it's truly sincere. I, I think you're outstanding at doing that. Well, I, I appreciate it. Uh, I th- well, two things. Number one, I appreciate the compliment. Uh, I think that the juggling act is, can you make it sound like it's not, as you said, so segmented and so put together? But we are. I mean, there was a point years ago when I got into this where we did not do that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've had a couple of really good producers along the way who were very honest with me and, and said, if you go look at any good TV show, whether it's 60 Minutes or 2020 or any show, so they're never going to walk in not having something prepared, you know, teasing the next segment or making it sound like it's not, I'm not going to use the word rehearsed, but formatted, right? But we do. So it doesn't mean we have to follow it to a T and sometimes it gets exhausting. The one thing I found out a long time ago is the thought of doing a sports talk show is a lot more fun sometimes than doing an actual sports talk show because that's, I joke with former athletes who are like, I want to do what you do when I'm done playing. And I think that's great. Good for you. But I said the thought sometimes is more fun than the execution because you finish a good show. And guess what? You have five minutes to enjoy that good show because I got another one tomorrow. Right. Right. But for me, the fear of not being able to do anything else has left me in this position where I better work my ass off because I have no plan B at this point in my life. And, and that is true. The, the, the work in your ass part is the part that a lot of people that, don't do anything in broadcasting, you know, the 99.9% of the people that are more productive with their lives and doing what we do in front of a microphone, they don't necessarily understand that there is a ton of work that goes into it. It's not just a go in there and just blather away for three, four hours a day and whatever happens, happens. Again, you're not taking phone calls on your show. You don't take a lot of guests either. Um, You are really like, no, this is is what we're going to do. Like you said, it's not totally regimented, but it is organized. Uh, and there's there's a ton of work. Even watching games, like there are times I know where I don't want to watch a game, believe yeah. it or not. But I know yeah. I have to watch the game yeah. because it's relevant to what we do. So just just talk about some of the things that go into that for you just to, to stay prepared, to stay on top of, of, of your game, so to speak. So for me, and this is the obnoxious part, if you ask my family, my life is content. Right. We're just always trying to think of the next thing. So there became a point where uh, I will tell anybody in this business, your best friend is your notes pad in your phone. I mean, your notes app is the greatest that I have a memory of a 97 year old Alzheimer's patient. Like it's bad, Mike, I'm not kidding. So if I don't write it down, it's not going to happen. So if I'm in the midst of whether I'm watching a game or at a family event or at a kid's game, or hanging out with friends, if I don't make a quick note, it's not going to happen. But when I make that note, then I can do is I can develop that more. I don't think I've ever woken up the morning of a show anymore and come up with an idea. I got out of that a long time ago. I'm like, what are we talking about today? I'm probably two or three days ahead of what I want to talk about. Doesn't mean I'm going to stick to it in two or three days, but I like to have kind of a uh, you know rough outline of what we're going to do because you kind of know what's coming. Football season's easy. You talk to sure. it. If you wanted to, you could take calls. But it, it occurred to me a long time ago. Talk radio was the only entertainment format where we we pushed the work out to the guy who was listening and said, you do the work for us. We're not going to be able to entertain you. So you're the third party entertain people. And I, we made that choice a long time ago to only sort of use calls as a sort of a way to promote something we're doing, right, mm-hmm. to further something we're doing. Um, but to me, if I'm able to – and it's sometimes a pain because it's hard to come up with four hours of good content or three and a half hours because it – there's just not enough in the world that's that compelling. So you know you're not going to hit them all. But if I know if I come up with enough of it, the audience has given us a chance because we've done this so long to fail 
and they're not going to turn us off because of it. Right. right. I've always said to, the, to my guys, if we're going to fail, fail spectacular. Let it just be some awful miss. And we've had a ton of them through the years that I'm okay with. So from the good content comes the crappy content and it's a fine line between it. And, you know, my guys have heard me say it a long time ago, if you're not afraid to fail at this, you're just not going to do well. You're, you're going to sit right here in the middle and you're going to lose everybody who's, who's looking for one or the other. If the, fa- if the failing gives you a laugh, the failing is good for me. As you said, I can be self-deprecating with the best of them because I realize what we do is dumb. It's not that serious and it's a distraction. Um, but I take it seriously enough to know it's my work. It's my career. So there's there's that balance every day with what we do. Yeah, and, and your show's always had humor. It's not shtick. It's just natural humor, which it's one of the few shows where if I'm listening in my car, I actually laugh. Uh, there's not a whole lot of sports. I cry a lot, but I don't even <laughs> laugh at a lot of the shows that I listen to. Let's talk about, because again, our last guest and a lot of the guests that we have on, we talk a bunch of national stuff. So, you know, when Tim Brando's on here, we, we talk about NIL and the future of the Pac-12 and uh, things like that. We're not going to get into all that, into the minutia of that. I want to talk about Atlanta because we say this, uh, I used to intro this podcast especially when JC was also in Atlanta, I'd say we're, we're coming to you from the Mecca of college football. And that's how I, I truly feel about Atlanta. Um, we've lived in other cities. I know you're kind of born and, and bred here, uh, Dunwoody slash Atlanta slash whatever uh, around this market, which is a top 10 market, but it's a unique market because you've got three pro teams. And if you're in New York, if you're in LA, if you're in Chicago, those are going to dominate the conversation. Um, and obviously, you've got to talk Falcons here. You've got to talk Braves. You're the home of the Braves. Hawks, you kind of in, in and out, right? Um, and then I'd like to do more, but my audience doesn't want me to do Hawks. Yeah, I know. I, I, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't mind that either. But I, I also I, the, the, I'm sure you guys have a bunch of like people, consultants and whatnot that give you the numbers and like, no, 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 this is not what we talk about. Um, Georgia Tech would probably fall in line with that as well. And that's the other thing. you got two major universities here, one of which gets a ton of coverage and the other of which is like in the abyss. How do you, though, how do you go into this saying, because a lot of shows really don't even cover it the way you guys do. I think you guys cover college football as much, if not more, than any other show. And, and part of that, of course, is your your cohort when you're nicknamed the king of college football kind of comes to the territory. But you obviously decided you this is just me guessing you made a decision however many years ago, like, no, 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 we're not going to just talk the Falcons depth chart four hours a day. We are going to talk Georgia. We're going to talk about the SEC because this this city, while it's a top 10 market, is not just pro unlike the others. It is absolutely passionate about college football. So we're going to get it into every show and sometimes each and every hour what was the 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 thinking behind that, and has that been a successful formula for you? I think it's been successful, but it, it's just the landscape. You know, you start to do this long enough, you realize if it's a pie, like how much of the pie you should be talking about certain things. Now, I will be very you know honest about it. So we're talking right now in March. Mm-hmm. There's only so much spring practice you could probably get into. Sure. That's where I give Chuck credit. Chuck is great at taking his stuff, turning the content into something more relevant because, A, that's his passion more than mm-hmm. anything else. So that makes it easy for me. But if you're doing the pie for me, there's a large chunk of that pie that's Georgia football, that's Braves baseball. And then after that, it's whatever's hot. Mm-hmm. Right? Falcons certainly will be there. But when the Falcons aren't good, Mike, you see the stands. Yeah. You see they're half empty. Right. Uh, we're not the flagship, so we're not 
beholden to have to talk about certain things there. But I will say this. So when the Braves were in their rebuild, I'll give my bosses credit. They never forced me and said, talk Braves, talk Braves, talk Braves. If they weren't interesting, I don't want to do it. Because I think our job is to take whatever is interesting and hopefully further it. And sometimes do we talk too much of it? Probably. But I have to remind myself that the, the typical listener listens 12, 15 minutes for the whole show. Right. So if I'm talking about something with Georgia at 320, there's a pretty good chance he'll never hear me do it again later in the show. So if I'm doing it at 420 and 520, that 320 listener who has his daily regimen, he's not hearing it again. So I got to do it for those other audiences. But it's always going to be Georgia football Braves. And then if Falcons are good, when the Falcons made their Super Bowl run, I mean, nothing was as, was as much on the show as the Falcons because they were the hot, fun team. Right. And they were that way. The Hawks, to some degree, can be like that. But um, it's always going to be Georgia Braves, Georgia Braves. And then I love Georgia Tech to be better. Like, the audience gets mad. You don't talk enough uh, Georgia Tech. I've got Atlanta United folks. You don't talk enough soccer. I've got Hawks. You don't talk enough Hawks. And I would say to everybody, I want these teams to be good and fun and interesting because it gives me more to play with. If right. they're not, don't get mad at me. Get mad that they're just not good. They're just not good enough to get – the amount of eyes and ears on it, that'll benefit all of us. So more good teams, more options. I'm for all of it. Yeah. The only way I ever got traction on Georgia tech going back to the seven nineties days was doing a segment on what is wrong with Georgia tech football and all the stuff. Well, yeah, we said this is one day now it blew up for three hours, but then it's like the next day, what do you get? You can't go back to that. So what are you going to talk about? The, the quarterback battle for a four and eight ACC football team? Like you just how much fun would it be if if Georgia Tech had the Northwestern surprise year where they won ten games? Right, you know, right. Like, like they there was a point in time Georgia Leary had that team very good. You could talk about a lot of stuff, yeah. right? You had you know good Joe Hamilton play, and you had fun offenses, and you had a team going to New Year's Day Bowl, and it made it much easier, much more fun to talk about. And even if you weren't talking to the Georgia Tech people. They were interesting enough that everybody else who wasn't a Georgia Tech fan could at least go, okay, they're good enough and interesting enough where the discussion becomes something that will hold my attention. Otherwise, are you, yeah, we always joke, are you broadcasting? Are you narrow casting? And at some point, if you're narrow casting, there's just no point. You're not winning. Well, and even when Paul Johnson like wins an ACC, first off, it's taken away. And, and secondly, he's got the personality of a stone. He's got an offense that is stale as can be. It's like Georgia Tech just can't catch a break. It's just he, he, every every time you think they're going to be relevant, they're not. He drained the life yeah. out of that program, I think. Um, Paul Johnson, uh, you know, their recruiting went downhill. It was just uh, – it was it was bad. We've talked about Tech a few times here. Because uh, I remember, too, like, like you did, Matt, when they were – Interesting and and good. I mean, even Bobby Ross won a national championship there in 1990. Uh, Tech was a really good ACC program, and boy, it's just uh, it's sad these days. Hopefully, and and watching it now, doing this for 20 plus years, you see how many ads come through, and they all have different Mm -hmm. messages and how many coaches, and they've always tried to do something different. Right? We're going to be Atlanta's team beyond Georgia Tech fans' team, and we're going to be, you know, the as Mike called it, because we're in the mecca of college football. We're going to be able to attract those people. And they've tried all kinds of different approaches. And you don't stop trying, but a ton of it hasn't worked, right? I mean, they, they made an addition to Bobby Dodd Stadium where they they built out one of the end zones. And that largely sits empty unless you're playing Florida State or Clemson, mm-hmm. who are going to bring their fans with it. It's it's not easy, man. I do not uh I do not envy the AD of that job. That is a from Radakovich to you know what we just saw. Uh, 
uh, with Stansberry to now Jay Bat, that that is there are a set of challenges in that one that are very difficult to overcome, and we reflect that by how much there is to talk about. Yeah, I think Radovich has got a reputation, and I know him personally. He's one of the best ads in the country. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter, like no matter who's in that post. There's just so much, only only so much you can do. Most of the graduates don't live in Atlanta. It's right. an engineering school. Blah blah. I mean, we all know the story, and and so it, it kind of is what it is. Georgia is the complete polar opposite, of course. Uh, this there's Georgia fans everywhere. It is for a lot of people their pro team. With all due respect to the Falcons, there are a lot of. I think everybody in on this podcast, we all love both, right? We watch college football incessantly on Saturday and do the same with the NFL on Sunday. But for a lot of people, they feel that they've got to choose two. They've only got so much room on their plate. Sure. And I'm I'm picking Georgia football, and then I'm doing stuff with the family Sunday, yep. and so. Georgia is huge here, and like I said, you guys cover it. You, it's clear that you made a decision. We're not going to treat this because it's a quote-unquote pro market like, like a secondary sport. I'm curious. You've had a front row now. You've done this over 20 years. So before Kirby, there was Mark Richt, and you're not a hot-take guy, but this would be the ultimate hot-take quandary for, for somebody, the Mark Richt era, because if you go back and you look at it, there's the two early SEC championships. There's, I think, nine nine bowl games, uh, three BCS games back when we used to use that term. If you go back to 2015, Georgia wins its last four games, right? They finish nine and three, but there's the flirtation of programs like South Carolina to hire away Kirby Smart, and Georgia says, you know what, Mark Richt, Thank you. You've got the highest winning percentage of all time in our program's history. Time to make a change. we got to do something here. He gets fired. So what is Chuck and Chernoff like the Monday after that news comes down? So, well, two things. And there's a couple of things here. Uh, Mark Ripped, you can rewrite history any way you want. Mark Ripped's program was really, really good. Mm-hmm. But what do we always say is the, the, the opponent of greatness that's being really good? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the worst. We get to this point in sports where – if you're really bad, it's easy to define, and we can all scream through your head. Right. You're really excellent where Kirby's taking the program. We sit in awe and go, oh, my God, you're building a dynasty. But when you're where Mark Richt was, it wasn't good, Mike. It was really good. Yeah. Like, it was really good. You can get caught in this complacency of, like, we're not elite, but the fear of making the wrong change, like Tennessee, and we heard that story so many times, don't make the change if you're not sure you can get better. That's always going to lead people – well, what if we make the wrong move with Rick? Look at what Florida has become. They haven't been able to Absolutely. get it right since Urban Meyer. 100%. So the Monday was kind of like, yeah, we saw this coming. I mean, my big thing when Mark Rick and Georgia stopped beating good opponents, and you can go, college football resumes lie to you more than any other resume in sports. Because you can inflate a win total and go, that guy's won nine games every year. And then you dig in, you're like, oh, they beat Coastal Carolina. And then it was the Southwest Louisiana game. And there's the Vandy win. If you go look at Mark Rick, in the last couple of years, the win totals were still there. You, you pointed out they won 10 games this final season. But go look who they were beating. They weren't, and they were getting blown out by people that shouldn't blow Georgia out, right? You should always be competitive with Florida. You should always be on the same level with, with those programs. But they were losing those games, and you were looking at going for Tom Bauda and, and uh, Grayson Lambert, and you were saying, this isn't Georgia. So from that standpoint, on the Monday, it was like, this was about time. This was things had gotten stagnant, a little bit stale. They were really, really good, but they weren't getting through that ceiling of greatness and elite. What surprised me was how quickly they did the Kirby smart hire. Yeah. And I give them credit in retrospect because we said that Monday, 
How about a search? How about you uh, turn over every stone? How about you talk to guys that they identified Kirby and they were like, that's the guy. And they did it and they weren't going to be second guessed in their opinion. Right. <laughs> we yeah, can look at this many years later. I don't think anybody saw this, right? What no. they built with Kirby. And it took a minute, that eight and five season, which everybody gets that one year to kind of to put it together. And then it's just skyrocketed from there. To say somebody got a higher right would be an understatement when Georgia probably could have taken anybody's top assistant or taken another coach from a, another power five to grab Kirby when they did. It might go down as one of the great, like perfect fit. The former Georgia guy comes home and has this level of success. Right. The college football has seen in generations. What's interesting about that too, though, is that again, if, if you were a hot take machine show, which thankfully you're not, um, That'll be the last dance, by the way. That'll be that, the final. That'll be when we're the, all out of other stuff, we go to hot takes. Right, right. But if you go back, okay, when it was blowing three double-digit leads to Alabama in the second half, when it was second and 26, when it was the fake punt, when it was finding ways to lose to Nick Saban and Alabama, and there's a little bit percolating under the surface of Kirby can't get over the hump. Did you sense that, and 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 how was your what was your reaction to all that? Because we know what the finished product is now. It's really easy to say, brilliant sure. hire, Kirby's job for life, et cetera, et cetera. But it wasn't always that way. No, it wasn't, and those are all points that we talked a ton about. Mm-hmm. Whether it was quarterback decisions, right, like Jake Fromm over Justin Fields, which there's always nuance to these things. Georgia had just played a national championship game; they weren't about to say goodbye to Jake Fromm for Justin, but. Just in like in a vacuum, you went one guy's better than the other guy. Mm-hmm. What was Kirby's quarterback evaluation? Was Kirby too much on his OCs to do it the Kirby way? We're going to run the ball. We're not going to be a, an explosive offense. And to your point, the fake punt, the second and 26, like they lost games where you went and said, is Kirby going to figure it out in game where he can beat the master, right? If he can beat the guy who's just always going to be in his way. But I think in a lot of these cases, this goes more of a reflection of us, Mike, than anything else. None of us have any time for this. We want our answer. We want it now. Right. There are no bumps in the road. You're not allowed to be Phil Mickelson and take forever to win a major. You're not allowed to be Michael Jordan and take seven years to win a championship. And LeBron has to win one every year. It's the same thing for Kirby. Like yeah. there were going to be bumps that none of us wanted to admit early on that you're not allowed to have the, the fake punt gaff, which was a huge gaff, but he had it. Right, you're not supposed to give up the second and twenty-six, or you're not supposed to see an offense with offensive coordinators that were very lackluster at the beginning. Right, Jim Cheney and some of the other uh, James Coley, but he had his bumps. Yeah. And I think this is again a reflection of like all this stuff. There were there were no mics and mats doing podcasts twenty-five years ago or thirty years ago when coaches were given time to figure stuff out, or players were. We want our answer right away and. He didn't get the answer right away, but now he's found the answers. I think what helped save him, and I use that word, that's a little dramatic, but what helped take some of the pressure off is A, Mark Rick didn't do it, and B, Ray Goff was laughably unsuccessful during his era. And so the bigger mystery. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jim's got bigger things to worry about now, I guess, but. The bigger mystery to me, we've talked about it on this podcast, for Georgia to go over 40 years without winning a natty, okay, the, you you look at it now and it's so obvious the advantages that Georgia has. It's the tradition. It's the facilities. It's being 
an, a little more than an hour away from a top 10 market with all these major businesses that have boosters and money sources, revenue sources, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, how did this not happen? The surprise is not that Georgia's won back-to-back titles. The surprise is how did this level of success not happen sooner? Oh, it's, I mean, it's something we used to talk about. We used to marvel at all the stuff you said that they had. And at the same time, Auburn's winning a title, and LSU's mm-hmm. winning two titles, and Bama's on this ridiculous run, and Tennessee had their moment, and Florida had their multiple championships. Everybody right around you was cashing in. But this goes to show again, and it's not a shot at Jim. I, I like Jim. Jim and I, I consider Jim Donovan a friend. I like Mark Burke a ton. But when you elevate from good coach to what Kirby Smart is, I mean, there's the ultimate difference. Like, they have the other stuff. They've always had the other stuff. Mm-hmm. But now you take all the advantages with the money and the resources, the facilities and all of it with Kirby Smart. It's like this this monster, right, that has come together that I don't know how you slow it down now. And I think that's what was missing the whole time. You went from Jim, who was pretty good as a coach, to Mark Rick, who was really good as a coach, to now Kirby Smart, who's in this elite category that Georgia had never experienced before. Yeah. And once you prove that you can get over the hump, now everybody knows the cat's out of the bag and there's no reason why Georgia can't keep doing it. It's Georgia's not going to go down anytime. I, I talk about this all the time on this podcast. It's up to the other programs to get up to that level because Georgia's there's no reason they're going to hit a snag in the road with the way they recruit. Um, so the only question I would ha- that I would have, and I brought yeah. this up before, does Kirby have a, a, a point where he gets worn out? I mean, he goes a million miles an hour. Right. right, his recruiting is, I mean, it is twenty four seven exhaustion. That you just wonder if there's a point five or ten years down the road where he's like, "This is this has worn me out." He's going to make more money in the next five years than he'll ever sure. be able to spend. Who knows yeah. that he doesn't win another title or two? And at fifty or fifty two, does he say, "I've made all the money. I want to see my kids grow up." There's only so many times I can be in Waycross and get out of the helicopter and. You know, meet a kid and then eat parties at eleven thirty at night. That that's a lifestyle that's not sustainable very long. Yeah, Matt. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I, I was just going to ask. You know, watching this Georgia defense the last two years, um, obviously a lot of talent, a lot of great players, a lot of high profile recruits. But but what's impressed me uh, besides actually watching them play? You look at their NFL combine numbers, and you've seen a lot of great defenses at Georgia and across college football, as have I at Alabama, Miami back in the day, wherever. But the amount of what we call freaks on that defense, I mean, you're talking four or five guys that are like 260-plus that run in the 4-5 range. You're talking about, you look at the secondary, you got Kylie Ringo, he's 6'3 and a half. Uh, You got N'Kobe Dean, who's one of the best erasers uh, as far as a a linebacker goes that I've seen in college football in years. Uh, You know, no offense to Alabama and what they put together and, and their recruiting and all that, but man, oh man, I, I've just I've never seen a group like this over the span of two years with this many guys that are like, you know, what how you draw them up. Like if if you drew up a dream defensive lineman, Georgia ended up with four or five of them. You know, right. and, and I was just seeing. Have you ever kind of seen anything like that uh, through the years in terms of? Uh, yeah, just the amount of like absolute freaks on a defense. I'm surprised anybody scored against them, to be honest. Well, I mean, the closest we can all do is Alabama. Like, yeah. There are points where you run through some of the – there were probably Miami teams, right? There was a couple of Miami teams in the early 2000s mm-hmm. or if you want to start crossing over some Ed Reeds and Ray Lewis's. But to your point, that's – like look at Nolan Smith right now as an example. Nolan was a really good college football player. What he did on that stage at the Combine, everybody just – 
took a step back and went, oh my God, this, this is athleticism that while we kind of thought he had watching the tape, you see it on that level and you go, you're just, you're, you're crazy. It's the same thing with Trayvon Walker. It's the same thing with, you know, uh, Channing Tindall. It's the same thing with, like, you get this Georgia thing now where Robert Beal will gain some uh, opportunity in the draft because he played at Georgia and they went, he didn't play a ton. He might have been an okay college player, but look what Georgia's produced in the last couple of drafts that you're going to get the extra little bit because you were at Georgia. And it does look like it's slowing down. If you looked at Malachi Starks this past season, right, or you looked at uh, Dumas Johnson, or you looked at these guys, they're plugging and playing in a way that like 18 and 19 year olds are stepping right in and looking like they're, you know, juniors and seniors. I, I don't know where it stops because Kirby's got the machine running at a point now where to Mike's point, it's going to take Tennessee or Florida or somebody else getting to their level. And that's not that easy. Yeah. It doesn't stop. My, my uh, theory on all this is that the only way it slows down is the way it is quote unquote slowed down at Clemson, which is you miss on a five-star quarterback, right? right? DJ was clearly not ready for that moment. Or in the case of Alabama, you miss on stud wide receivers. Like they're either that or they're just all extremely young, which is what they were last year. A couple of those guys will probably be in the NFL, but they didn't have clearly the level of what they had before. And who knows? I mean, for all the knock on Stetson Bennett, which might be the most polarizing player that we've all covered in one way or another, right? Um, Who knows if the next guy, whoever wins that job is going to be ready for that moment. Like there's going to be a couple of games where it's going to be a fourth quarter game, and maybe that quarterback doesn't shine for Georgia the way Stetson did the last two years. Well, it's a fair point, right? We don't know what Carson Beck or if it, if it was going to be Brock Vandegrift or, or Gunnar Stockton. To Georgia's credit, though, they've stacked the deck with three of them. And mm-hmm. I've said this, there's a chance all three start games mm-hmm. next season, which that would not shock me. Uh, and with their schedule, and this is where the context matters, that Georgia schedule, which – they set up, but it's partially not their fault because the Oklahoma game got taken away. It's one of the easiest slash worst schedules for a team that's competing for a national championship that I can ever remember. Like it involves the ball states and the like at a conference in that first month where they could play all those three quarterbacks just to get them some reps and, and nothing's going to change the outcome of the game. I, you know, again, it never works out this way this far in advance. But outside of going to Knoxville, Mike, I have a hard time looking at any other team on that schedule, even with a question at quarterback and saying, you can beat Georgia. Yeah, I don't see it either. I, I I don't see it. And you brought up a good point, and that is the the Oklahoma situation. That was not Georgia's fault. Uh, everybody likes to when they're tired of a certain team winning, they like to bag on a, a certain sure. aspect of the schedule, right? Oh yeah, but but that's Georgia has proven they're willing to play difficult out of conference games, and they play in the most difficult league in the country. Yeah, I'm not sure Oklahoma crosses the 50 against Georgia next year, even if they did play. Yeah, I well, mean, that's true. That's the other. They've got issues in Norman right now. Yeah, they they're got trying major... to patch it up, right, before yeah. they join the big league. But, more than, uh, more but than at least Georgia year. would have been given the credit of going on the road and playing a power sure. conference sure. and that sort of thing. And let's all be clear. We're one year removed or one year away from getting to the expanded playoff. Mm-hmm. So let's say, and we don't know what happens, let's say Georgia makes the playoff this year. Now do the expanded playoff and ask yourself when they're not going to be in the college football right. playoff before once we go to 12. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you're, you're talking about a situation they could run off like 10 consecutive playoffs with an expanded format. There's there's no reason to think that there'd be some major drop-off in, in one particular year. It's not the NFL. You're not going to lose players to free agency and have this major gap because the recruits just keep coming in and in. And like you mentioned right. with quarterback, even if you miss on one or two, you've got a third five-star guy that you can certainly count on to do something. Um, wrapping things up, 
Matt, I wanted to ask you um, about some of the games you've had a chance to cover. And I realize you don't go to every game. You've got, again, there's so many things you guys have to cover and, and so on and so forth. You've got to have a little family time. I know you've got young ones. But what's some of the most memorable games you've covered in college football? It doesn't even have to be Georgia, but just in general, some of the ones that stand out for you. So here's the thing, and this is where, uh, you know, you mentioned me being from here. Like growing up in Atlanta, it's a nice little change for all the people who do what we do in this business because everybody's from somewhere else. Right. So I started going to Georgia games at five years old. I was at Georgia Tech games at five and six years old. So I spent a, a ton of my youth going to a lot of those games. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, one of the still to this day most memorable games I've ever been in person and covered was between two good teams, not great teams. But it was a Quincy Carter, Joe Hamilton, Georgia, Georgia Tech game wow. of the late 1990s. I want to say it was 98, 99. That was a 51 to 48 overtime game, which is the funniest part of all of it. George Gotze, who was the backup for Georgia Tech, on a field goal attempt. Uh, it was a bad snap. George picks it up. Saves the third down opportunity. Georgia Tech Lee kicks in overtime. That was also the game where <laughs> Jim Donnan, all he had to do was kick a field goal to win in regulation, but he let Jasper Sanks uh, take the ball and try to score a touchdown. He fumbled, which really wasn't a fumble. This is prior to the replay. It was just one of the craziest things I've ever seen with like the amount of stuff back and forth. But I mean, going to Georgia Notre Dame in 2017 yeah. was this cool thing. To so see you that went, you, you took the trip. Yes, which was awesome to be there. Cool. I've never been to Notre Dame, so I wanted to see that. I'll give you one I was just in the building for. The Georgia-Ohio State game is one of the great games I've ever seen. Yeah. Like the amount of twists and turns for a team that was down 17 points mm-hmm. as the favorite with all that was on the line. for Think how close we are, Mike, to having this whole conversation. And we're not talking about Georgia being back-to-back champions. That's right. I mean, yeah. that, that Ohio State game is the great example of that. Hell, the, the championship game the year before against Bama. Mm-hmm. Who knows in that fourth quarter, Stetson doesn't make a couple of big throws and the Ringo pick. Right. The, the margin is razor thin on this stuff from dynasty. You can't stop them to, how did you lose to Ohio state? Yeah. Can't get over the hump. Always. Can't get over the hump could easily be the dialogue right now. But mm-hmm. those to be there in person for those was about as sort of memorable as you'll ever see. Uh, lastly, was there a more polarizing or maybe another name that comes to mind? I mean, obviously Tebow was on a, on a national scale, pretty polarizing. If you're doing sports talk radio, you were obligated to talk to Tim Tebow at some point. We have a lot of Florida fans and, in Atlanta, but Stetson Bennett to me certainly takes the cake. Um, any other players that just kind of when you think about having to to discuss on the on the radio were just absolutely like people were in one camp or another, but not everybody agreed at all. You what? If you haven't heard this, this is going to stun you. Doing this now, I started doing a full time show in nineteen ninety nine or two thousand. The two most polarizing names that we've ever talked about: Michael Vick, Stetson Bennett. Get wow. the hell out. Like, the Stetson thing is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen, right? <laughs> he goes from a guy that we saw throw a pass. He came in off the bench and threw one pass in the uh, SEC title game against LSU the Burrow year. Mm-hmm. And it looked like he had never played quarterback before. I'm like, this poor guy, I felt bad they put him in the game. To this story now of you won back-to-back championships, you were in New York as a Heisman candidate, you're going to get drafted. And all we did for two and a half years was – Ask when is he going to be replaced? Mm-hmm. JT Daniels going to get the job back. Or if it's not JT, who's going to get it? All right, he just won a championship, but he's going to keep the job. It was, I got to the point after they won the championship the first year, I said to the audience, I'm not doing the Stetson thing for another year. In other words, I'm not mm-hmm. doing who's taking his job. Mm-hmm. And then I got firmly on the Stetson, like, guys, he's going to be a Heisman candidate. He's playing in this offense where Todd Munkin is as creative as can be. And 
did I think he was going to be a Heisman winner? No, but he turned out to be a Heisman candidate, which about, again, if we wrote the movie strip, nobody would believe it. Mm-hmm. After Michael Vick, Stetson Bennett's the most polarizing guy I've ever talked about to the point where Georgia fans who love the program could not get behind Stetson Bennett for the longest time. It was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. Before the last game, because I, I always send in my Heisman ballot after the SEC championship game. I think you're just lazy if you don't. But I had I felt like I was defending myself that I put him on the ballot, which I did. I put him right. on the ballot, and I did so with pride. And then we did what he did again in the national championship game. Like, I don't back down from that. He deserved to be in New York, period. I don't care if he – by the way, if you want to really make him polarizing, we could just – we could just kind of enhance his story and say on the side he trained pit bulls to fight. Now you've got something. Now you got something. Uh, that's but, a reality this is, show. This is the picture in sports that we judged the thing and we weren't about guys will not change our opinions unless we are forced. Right. Like somebody says, here is the empirical data. You have no choice but to get out of the corner you're backed into. And it took people two plus years of him going 29 and three, right? And him having this ridiculous touchdown to interception ratio. What, who was it days before the national championship? I don't know if it was Doug Gottlieb or if it was Danny Cannell. We talk about hot take guys. They were still doing that. Is this guy starting? Yeah. How was this guy Heisman candidate? It's like, did you watch? Right. Did you see? And I, and I defended Stetson by saying, George took the ball out of his hands in a lot of games where they had such big leads that he couldn't put up the gaudy numbers. He didn't play Mike. He didn't play a full game until like week seven. Exactly. This past exactly. season. And then right. you start to see the games where the weather's bad in Lexington. They, they took the air out of the ball. The, I mean, there were, there were so many games where you're like, oh, look at this game. They just they didn't throw the ball in the fourth quarter against Tennessee because they had such a big lead. And he already right. had ridiculous numbers in the game. I'll look back in 20 years and go, the Stetson Bennett thing seems made up how crazy it turned out to be. I think part of it's his size. Uh, and, and, and I would even say next level analysis, the haircut, because he looks like a vacuum salesman <laughs> or a Bible salesman. Like if he just did a crew cut or something different there – I, I think he could have changed the image a little bit. Um, last question, since we, we mentioned we've had a Chuck on here. Uh, part of the, the, the beauty of your show is that you, t- you two guys could not be more different. I mean, you are from different planets, right. but it works. The one thing you have in common is you both have a passion for college football. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've done it now for I don't know how many years together. What is, what is the most enjoyable facet of that relationship? I get the feeling you don't hang out a lot socially but what is it, professionally speaking, that that makes it so enjoyable when you go to work every day? So the funny part is, like you said, do we hang out socially? Probably not as much as we used to. Mm-hmm. And you work on the radio for four hours a day with a guy. It's a lot of time. I see yeah. him more than I see my wife during the day, which she's grateful for. Um, <laughs> but the dynamic, here's what it is. And I've, never, I've always said this, and I don't know how you define it. When there's chemistry... It just works. How do you define it? I don't know. I never mm-hmm. have. Because as you said, we couldn't be more different people. But I think that's sort of what makes it work. He's one of the funniest guys I've ever been around. But he's like he's he's quietly funny, right? He has a good right. line. Slip it in. It's 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 perfect. He understands that I'm a control freak, right? You talk mm-hmm. about running a point on a radio show. He he lets me have my room to sometimes throw an immature fit if I'm going to do that. Um, I know what. Pushes his buttons. He knows what pushes my buttons. I and mean, we've done it 22 years together. Um, but I think at the end of it, I, you know, we've said this a lot when we leave after the show. If we laughed throughout that show, that's that the show is fun. There is mm-hmm. nothing in the sports world that's so damn serious that we're going to talk about that it's going to make us a smarter show, right? I mean, no matter right. what angle I have on the Falcons getting Lamar Jackson or what angle he has 
on the Braves not going after Shohei Otani. There is nothing that damn interesting that is going to have the audience <laughs> remembering it. But if we made them laugh that day and we laughed, then I'm happy with it. I really, yeah. I, just, I want to, my life to me, if I can laugh every day, I've had a great day. I like that. That was, that was Jimmy Valvano. He's a hundred percent right. It's, you know? Yeah, that's that's a heck of a day right there. Um, when I get home, my three kids are so annoyed. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Again, school. It's we'll break out the couch. Well, this will be a therapy. <laughs> this will be a therapy session next time. We will not charge you a single dollar. No uh, man, I'm glad we finally had a chance to do this. Uh, like I said, you and I have, have lived in this market uh, at the same time for a lot of years. You and I have never really done anything together on air or off the air. So this was almost like an introduction in a lot of ways, like uh, but I'll, I'll reiterate what I said at the top. I, I love the show, and I think, again, you're the Stockton-Nash magic of sports talk in Atlanta and that you run the point as well as it can be run. I know from experience that's not nearly as easy as a lot of people would think. So I appreciate what you do, and I really appreciate you. you taking out the time. I appreciate it. And uh, Michael, let's do it again. Do I invoice you here or do I send you something? Uh, just send it to the secretary. Awesome. Yeah, she'll uh, she'll go ahead and get you. You'll, you'll get that payment uh, as soon as it processes through Dickie Broadcasting. So, oh, wait, yeah. I'm going to hold my breath. Hold on. <laughs> uh, Matt, always a pleasure. Have fun on the show today. And thanks again for joining us here on uh, JC and Morgan. Guys, uh, thank you. It was fun. I appreciate it.